in this week's episode of Show Notes. How are you going to show years of this woman's flawless, you know, fashion sense in, you know, two hours worth of time? Do you think Megan was a driving force that she didn't want to handle what it was being a royal and that sort of forced Prince Harry's hand? I want to see her be a mean girl. Anyway. I don't want to hate Kristen Chenoweth. <laughs> I know. We did it first and it wasn't cute then. So please stop. We've got magic to do just for you. So, okay, ever since we have talked to John about this show, there has been one thing in my brain that will not let go, and that is the term Dianaissance. So my question for you to start Ooh. this beautiful debauchery is, um, what exactly is the representation of a Dianaissance? Because, you know, you've got, like, significant art pieces of, like, the different things. What is the staple of the Dianaissance. I mean, I think we're living it because Gen Z has fully taken hold of 90s fashion right now. <laughs> oh my God, my brain. Like, I am seeing Jenko jeans and chokers walking down the street. Yes. And I'm like, we did it first and it wasn't cute then. So please stop. <laughs> yeah. And like, it's cool. You know, it's, <laughs> it's fine. We paved you, the way. You do you, boo. Yes, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> We paved your way and now we're reaping the benefits. That's probably not true. Are we are we reaping any benefits? I don't <laughs> know. I we're reaping we're what we sow though. <laughs> Diana Sans was such a thing. It was that a is thing. Beautiful. Thank you, John, for such a eloquent term. But really though, like he said it and then my brain went, ooh, you're gonna hang on to this forever. But it really is a vibe. It's kind of an idea. It's a it's um sort of a F you to the powers that be and oh, it's a yes. like just go live your life and be good and I think that's something we all need right now in this world oh my god it's literally passes the vibe check it is the vibe check that <laughs> it is, is the, vibe, the check. vibe check It it's what you need to pass the vibe check indeed <laughs> the yes. Diana song the Diana song through the Diana song oh my god let's strut through a Diana song because Lord knows we need a little light and color in this world so uh oh well I guess if we're going to strut through a Diana song we have to start at the beginning and that would be from, from the, the top. top from the top a five six seven oh my god oh my god you guys Perfect. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of From the Top, your favorite musical theater cast and review. My name is Mary. And I'm, I'm st- oh God, I almost did uh, Cockney. No, that's wrong. Um, <laughs> no, no, that's wrong. Um, that's totally wrong. I'm Steve. And I, I don't even know how you say Stephen in English accent. And is I. Stephen. 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 In, Steven. Yes. No, I don't know. I Somebody think call Steven. Sabrina. <laughs> Sabrina, what is it? Like she she actually just said Stephen. So Stephen. <laughs> okay. There we go. 
There we go. We need to have her on soon, too. Oh, my God. She needs to come back on this show. That would be just absolutely delightful. And I, oh, I'm, I miss the Queen Bee. I miss Queen Bee. And she now has anyway, a little baby bee. She's got a baby bee. Oh, she bee does now. have a baby bee. Yes, it's uh, so cute. Her baby bee is adorable. Anyway, let's, let me get off of that obsession for one hot second. Uh, this evening, we are finishing our coverage of Diana the Musical. And I, I seriously just mm, snap click still such a bop. I don't know why it was a banger, but like it's hooked into my brain and it won't let go. It's, it's so good. It's literally so good. Um, The, I find myself recanting um, the main event in my head. Really? Walking through the grocery store and I'm just thinking about like the snarky shit they were saying yes! to each other. Yes, I'm like, yes, yes, mm, yes. It's cute. Yeah, oh you my get God. Her, Diana. It's so good. But then you say it out loud and someone turns to you like, <laughs> what? Like, what? Nothing. Not for you. That's well, That wasn't for you. <laughs> this... I want you gone. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever have those moments where like I'm, that you say the things out loud? Like if you've heard the song long enough or you've done it that you say in the response dialogue like in public and then someone looks at you funny? Like is that is that oh. a thing that you do? Okay, good. Oh, I sometimes... And that person walking down the street and I forget I'm not the only person around and I will just start like responding with the like yes and then you get the funny look and you're like oh I am so sorry oh sorry that was my own world yeah that was not for you my Diana sons right now I don't think John knows what he got into by telling us the term Diana. No, he has no idea. I don't he has think no so. Idea. God, that's <clears throat> so funny. TM. Thank you, Trademark John. Trademark TM. Thank you, John. We'll split the residuals. Five percent. Yes. <laughs> God, that's just. But I mean, I think I was talking to a couple of people about this show actually, and and obviously, you know, I mentioned it earlier, but like I never really knew that this was a show. And then when you told me it was, I'm like, how in the world are they going to make the life of Diana Spencer a musical? And then we've watched it, we've talked about it, but it, it is so cool to see a show that was like kind of centered around one strong, like a strong female character. And, you know, she had a lot of really great moments and um, I don't know, it, it rekindled a lot of things in my brain that I guess I had kind of suppressed because like you mentioned it, she was a major part of our childhood. Like that was a major historical event that happened while we were kids. And I think that it's, Although it got a lot of flack for it, like some parts of it, you know, or a lot of it, I suppose, that a lot of people really didn't like. I mean, there there are worse shows that have been created in the grander scheme of theater. So, like, I think telling the story of, like, a strong, you know, woman who, like, only became strong because of her circumstance. Like, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a good story to be told. So, anyway, yeah. I was pontificating. <clears throat> Cut me off, please. No, Make no me. <laughs> I totally agree. And actually, we're going to, I'm not going to skip ahead to Actor's Nightmare. But since we're talking about it now. Now, before we go into notes from a director, I want to bring this up. Do you think this show passes a Bechtel test? Because while she is singularly wanting just the love of one man, Mm -hmm. she's also sort of talking about bigger things and wanting to drive her own path. So it's almost like the man is taking the backseat to her larger needs and wants. Yeah. But... It's still sort of man focused. So, do you in your head feel this passes a Bechtel test? Ooh. Or does it not? That's a really. Oh. 
And I should say, Bechdel test. So a Bechdel test means that the leading ladies or the ladies of a show, the main character ladies, are not necessarily driven by finding love or being accepted by men, or it is not, you don't need no man. Right. Essentially makes you, makes a show pass a Bechdel test if you don't happen to know what that is. I mean, I would say that for this particular show that it's it's very focused about that like in the beginning of it because you know we we start with Diana not really knowing anything and not really knowing what she wants and then she's kind of plucked from her normal life and given this opportunity that not a lot of other people would have so i think that on the, in the first act, it would fail that Bechtel test because that is all she is wanting. Is she's wanting to be loved and accepted by a man, and she's wanting to do right by a man, and she wants to give him an error and all of these things. But then you have that turning point where then she goes, no, this is actually about bigger things than just this portion of the world. And so then I feel like act two passes that Bechtel test because she leaves him in the dust. Like even her her man fling that she has, you know, um, isn't Mr. really James Hewitt. Mr. James, here comes James Hewitt. Um, I think that even that isn't like the full scope of her vision. Like it just kind of seems like it's a side plot, right? Or it's a side slut if we are being, you know. <laughs> We supported all kinds of sex work in this house, and side oh sluts are no it, different. That, that sound effect is just a bunch of Marilyn moans. There we go. That sound does not leave me. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> ow, ow, ouch, ouch. Oh my God, ow. Um, but yeah, so I, I mean, I would say it kind of sounds like a cop out, but I, I feel like overall it, it does, it passes it because of the strength that comes from the second act and it's just written the way the story is written there's no way it would pass it in the first portion of this i still have a stitch in my side right now that i am trying to let go i can't breathe can't. this is great uh, it's so good ow no i i actually agree with you and because in in a weird way i feel like <clears throat> It's almost expounding on a bechdel test mm -hmm. i think it's also important to show Maybe at the beginning of a show, a girl can be pining after a man. Yeah. Or a love interest, even. Sure. But I think it's good to show farther on that you don't need no man. Mm hmm Because I think that also makes it pass one in a way, because it's forcibly, forcibly telling you that moral in a way, that you don't need anyone. Yeah. And Absolutely. I think that that inherently passes the Bechtel test. Now, does it pass the Bechtel test in a plot strategy? No, because eh. the main driver is still marriage and men and like all of relationships right. and that. So it's it's not, you know, secondary things in life that yeah. make it 100% pass. But I think it does in its own weird way yeah. because she was such a pioneer for so many other things beyond Prince Charles. Yeah. Now King Charles. Ugh. Still. Ugh. Gross. I can't. <clears throat> I no. don't. Ugh. Sorry. I know. 10% of our listeners are in the UK and I am so sorry. I am so sorry. I am not Maybe. denouncing your, your government and... <laughs> I'm I mean, just, maybe a few of them uh, don't particularly like King Charles. I, mean, I don't know. 
I mean, it is antiquated to some degree, but at some point it's still almost, uh, I get it because it's a, it's a heritage thing. It's just part of your history and you feel it. It's like the soul of the country in a way. And that's just what it is. And so you can't take that away from anyone and who you are as, as an English man or woman. As an English person. I think having that, having side sluts and all, uh, (laughs) we need Ooh, we need to take a note from a director. If it isn't asking too much, will you please show me a little? All right, now, once again, give it some. <laughs> oh, God. I just, I would love to see Marilyn in a note session. I really would. I would just, poor girl probably couldn't find a pad and paper to save her life. And she's like, oh, no, I'll remember it. No, you won't. <laughs> oh, Arthur Miller, I'm, uh, I'm just so sorry. I missed your note. Can I see you in your office after rehearsal? <laughs> but really, that's though, that's real, folks. That really happened. That's oh, <laughs> shut up. Wait a minute. Back up. What? Really? What? No, Arthur Miller. No, she married that man, and because she decided she needed to become a real actress, and went to join the Actors Studio in New York, and then. Joined a famous playwright, Arthur Miller, who was head of that at that point in time, then married the man, not Joe DiMaggio, the famous football, uh, football, baseball player. Huh. Anyway. I could go off on Marilyn. Trust we need to cover Bombshell because I uh, love you need a Monroe. reason. Hence I have this whole persona of <laughs> Marilyn Monroe. I didn't mm. realize that was a thing. That's a very interesting fun fact. Oh yeah. Love it. Oh yeah. Anyway, not what we need to be talking about. No, but it's but fun. First note, speaking of random talking, uh, I think just our overall note <laughs> that we always need to be cognizant of is our three second time delay, especially when we have guests. So I apologize ahead of time. Oh no. Some of it's pandemonium at times and some of it's not, but we can't control it. It is just what it is. And we are all three very lovely theater people. And when there is a silence, we will all fill it at the same Same time. time. (laughs) Yeah. But I overall, it wasn't so bad, but I just want to apologize for any of those moments that are unclear because I absolutely know a director would come up to us and say, hey, we need a little clarity and let everyone have their stage time. Yes, you cannot take stage <laughs> time because it is available. What do you mean? I'm the star of my own show. If it's one thing I'm good at, it's riding coattails. <laughs> oh uh, my God. <laughs> one day you'll realize this is our show. One day, one day more. It was our show the whole time, Dorothy. (laughs) Oh my god. I clicked my heels, but they weren't ruby heels, and so, you know, that's why I ended up in... Where the hell am I? I don't even know where I am. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, is this Narnia? Why is there a queen offering me Turkish delight? Let's be real, though. If it was Kate Blanchett offering me Turkish delight, mm, <laughs> mood, bet. You'd be like, uh, yes, please. Yes, the answer is just yes. Hell. Hey, to magical, mystical lands. Uh, not our what if segment. Oh, man. I know. Fine. I know. Uh, well, sometimes 
crazy things happen. We say the wrong things. And John uh, actually reached out and wanted to uh, add a few corrections of his own because he knows that we do this on this episode. So <laughs> he, of course, wanted to be a part of it. I told him to, like, record his own bit and send it to his us. His own but he, bit? I don't know. He did not do it. So Well, I mean, out, John. wait a minute. We, we say the wrong things? That's not true. How dare you say such slander and calumny? <laughs> if no one could tell, that was I wicked know. sarcasm. No Some one. Wicked sarcasm. Wicked sarcasm. Like. Love. Yes. yes. There we go. Okay. Well, John just wanted to make a couple corrections uh, in some of the names he was dropping, some of the friends that are part of this show. Sure. Uh, he, he believes at times he was switching out of one of his people one of his friends uh he kept saying laura uh, or lauren but the friend's name is laura so absolutely wanted to clarify that and then he also found out our wish came true and he <gasps> wanted this to be forefront uh quoteth john also i am happy to report that when the show opened in 2021 they did cut the tag at the end of <gasps> like the world Yay! so it does end with diana walking up stage and that <gasps> is literally everything i'm so happy about that good give her the ending she deserves oh exactly. and charles yeah. can go count sheep with camilla i don't know i something something yes, family sure friendly that's all they do on sundays that's what they do Ugh, gross <laughs> go do it on a sunday no one cares uh, you know i kind of combed through our entire episode and i'm just trying to find clarity or like other things someone would say oh yeah you need to like make sure you need to correct that you need to do everything we did a pretty good job of sticking to plots and dates and names and all that and there wasn't any egregious names that we had to try to pronounce this time so the only other thing i thought maybe needed some clarity was the thrilla in manila comment oh sure because it's a whole it's a whole song that is and the thing gets repeated but for anyone who's not aware the thrilla in manila was not not this particular incident between Camilla and Diana. Mm. The Thriller in Manila was a, it's a boxing reference between Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier in an iconic, nearly like death match, October 1st, 1975 fight in wow. Quezon City, Philippines. So that, that, that's the whole thing because it was an epic battle. So it just so happens Camilla rhymes with Thrilla in Manila, which was the headlines of the 1975 sure. <laughs> boxing fight. Of so course. Uh, they just found the irony in that and decided, oh, it's like a boxing match, a larger than life boxing match between two major icons. Sure. We're going to throw it into this main event. Yes, song. of so. course. I just thought maybe that needed some clarity, that needed some definition, so to speak, as something that might have been missed sure. uh, just in our talking about it. So, but other than that, uh, I have no other notes from a director. But again, as always, if you have noticed something, if you're like Stephen, the royals are so angry that you did not correct this. Oh, God. We need you to have a piece of our mind <laughs> after our tea. <laughs> so oh, you're going to write us always at podcastfromthetop at gmail.com or from the top underscore podcast on Instagram. Yes. I'm just, I would love, I really still am waiting for that big piece of hate mail that you get one day. 
I want <laughs> one I, day. I want it. One day it will happen. We I mean we've got we've actually received oh, a lot of like compliments. Well we because have. because I just I don't know. I want to see you get the things that you want. And you want that, so I want you to have that. <laughs> but we have gotten some really nice compliments through and you know, again, I feed on positive feedback and reinforcement, so like don't send hate mail to me. Steven can read it. But you're a sandwich person. You need the good with the bad and then a good. Yes. I'm just like, I do not sugarcoat me. I just give me what I need. Yeah, just, just give me the bad. Give me the bad and let's move on. Yeah. Like, I'm not gonna waste oxygen. Let's go. Yeah, see, I'm all about wasting oxygen. Waste it. Tell me how good I am, please. Thank you. Well, I guess that's kind of a good segue, cause if one of us got the random other type of reinforcement <gasps> that could be construed as an actor's nightmare. Funny, that's the sound that goes off in my brain whenever someone says, we need to talk. Ooh, actually, but I think that's everyone. I mean, it is, but normally, like, it's it's, it's something probably innocuous, but... Mm-mm. Oh, my God, side plot. Side plot. Nothing to do with anything. But <laughs> when someone texts you and is like, hey, question, or like, hi, I need to ask you something, or like, oh, hey, are you free, like, later to talk? Like, do you mm. elevate in, like, anxiety, or are you just, like, chill about it? I... I love you so much that you think that any sort of adjective that revolves around chill is in my vocabulary whatsoever um, or used to describe me as a human being. I appreciate that so much. On the outside, you are very good at keeping the face. You're so cute. actor. But I know as someone who has been your friend for nearly 10 years... (laughs) It's uh huh. It's bubbling underneath. <laughs> oh yeah, we're anxiety. The anxiety just like simmers underneath my skin constantly. But I will actually, when someone does that, I will go into a downward spiral of like, okay, what would they want to ask me about? And I start logging back and going through all the things that right. I might have like said or did. Did someone overhear me when I was ranting about them out like in public, or did somebody say something about something that I? And I just, I literally, the gremlin in my brain will go through the role and then start lighting the whole room on fire just for fun. And then it's even worse when they're like, hey, I have a question and it's done. Yeah. And like it's been two hours and you haven't checked your phone and then all of a sudden you come back to this and you're like, wait, what? Why did you just ask the question? Yeah, they were waiting for your response. And and it was like, do you need my permission to ask a question to me? Like, if we're that close, just ask me the question. Don't ask if you can ask a question. Anyway, for all of your anxiety-ridden friends out there, just ask the damn question. Please, God, ask the damn question. Thank you. And that was a side plot. Side Side plot. plot. Well, you know what was actually causing me a little hint of anxiety? We did so much content with John. Oh, God. It th- like, how many hours? Multiple. Three hours. Yes. Three hours. And I, I got us down to like an hour 45. And some stuff's still on the cutting room floor, though. So I'm going to save that. And <gasps> we're probably going to do some like bonus episode stuff oh! with it, too. Because I think a lot of what we talk about is valid. And like we go deeper into yes. some stuff. I, I, I curated it so that it, it wouldn't be. <laughs> Gone, hey, you're not listening to Gone with the Wind. You know? Oh, man. But, the, but Scarlet, I mean... Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Frankly, Scarlet, I don't give a damn. 
<laughs> I sometimes yeah, I'm it smart. Just, it just felt. It always feels weird when our coverage of the show is longer than the show itself. <laughs> so I'm like, well, I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, th- ultimately, that's just how passionate John is about the show. I mean, truly, I think that's that's one of the hallmarks of this show that I've come to discover is like the people that we get to join in on our conversations are just as passionate about theater as we are, and it just it reignites my fire. Not to say that you don't, because talking with you each week does, but getting oh, other yeah. nerds in here to be like, oh my god, it's not just the two of us that are nerding out over a show. Right. I mean, we're not alone. I'm not alone. And it's just like, ugh. Oh, I could literally sit and listen to John talk about, I mean, musicals in general, but like I could listen to him talk about this show forever. He's forever. so well, passionate about it. Oh, it's so good. Well, one, he, he does costuming. So like, this is like the pinnacle of like the type of show. Oh my God. He loves. Seriously. It's, it's period. It's iconic. It's yes. all that sort of stuff. So I loved having him on. I will always love having him on. The, the costume portion of that is... I know that there are times, I think, when we cover a show that we we kind of forget, or maybe not forget the costume piece, but, like, we don't really touch on it as, like... We don't. I've actually thought about somehow we we finally get to it sometimes in table read yes. when we go like the the hardness of the show and like yeah. sometimes you're like oh the costuming is really hard yeah but maybe we should make sure to always include that because it's a huge part of theater is yeah. costumes and sometimes it's difficult like would you want to wear what they're wearing all the time on stage i mean it's it was something that i i took a costuming class in college and you know i, I only got a very kind of surface level I guess appreciation for what costumers go through with like, you know, finding things and then creating things that they can't find it. But then I really got a good taste of it when I started following like all of the um, folks that were the behind the scenes uh, staffers for Beetlejuice, right? So like following the costumer for Beetlejuice, following the touring um, folks for the stage managers for Beetlejuice, like all these things, watching Elizabeth Teeter go through a costume change from her black Lydia gown into the red wedding dress that happens like right before the end of the show that costume change i believe takes 90 seconds from the time that she runs off stage runs downstairs to change and then goes back up the lift to like go back on it is a well-oiled machine the way that these people do this but like she the the red wedding dress itself is so many layers of fabric that it adds like at least 10 pounds onto this very small actress right so the idea that somebody went through and took the time to design it to then create it and then teach a team of people how to put it on a person like is a whole other facet of theater that I forget exists because like we're in I'm in a part of the the country that like it you know it, it doesn't really have big theater like that where you have to do those certain things like everybody is built with you know costume changes like you, you have the luxury of time like I'm not in an industry or in a, a facet of the world that like requires that so I for a show like this to have so many costume changes that happen and to have them seamlessly happen and then almost like magic tricks happen on stage while other things are going on was just absolutely iconic to me. It was beautiful because it's like, how are you going to show years of this woman's flawless, you know, fashion sense in, you know, two hours worth of time? 
we got to do it through costume changes. And it, it, it was almost like a dance and it was so pretty. And I feel like we didn't give it enough justice. So like having John on as somebody who sees theater through this lens was a really cool um, kind of, you know, doorway into, you know, this thing that we don't really talk about very often. I think we may have covered this before or it may maybe in just my mind we've done it. But really quick then, what's your fastest costume change you've ever had? Oh my God. Um, so I think the fastest change I ever did was, mm, I think it was a minute. I think it was 60 seconds from the time that I went off stage. And luckily like it was, it was very quick in the sense that like I was wearing a judge's robe and it was over like a lot of the other costume that I had to go into, but it was judge's robe that had to come off and then a shoe change. And then I had to throw a wig on and get it pinned before I went back on stage and that took 60 seconds, I think, was the shortest costume change I've done. What about you? I know you've got one in there that's faster than that, isn't it? Yeah, like 10 seconds, like literally off, boom, and back on again. Yeah. 17 seconds was the most frustrating one. Ooh, babe. 12 seconds is my, what do you call it? Like the goal to beat. <laughs> yeah, you're literally your benchmark. Yeah. <clears throat> the benchmark, like... That was my that was my lift. That was bro. like your highest <laughs> achievement. Oh my, my. Max, bro. This is your max lift, <laughs> did you bro. Did you the quick change, bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, merch. That is a sticker. This is a sticker. Do you do you even quick change, bro? Do you even quick no, change, bro? Seventeen seconds for Mary Poppins, and it was the scariest seventeen seconds of my life every Babe. freaking night. And it's in it's it's in a Jolly Holiday with Mary. Oh, you, yeah. We have to go from our main stuff, and then we have to come back out in white. <clears throat> oh yeah, our, everybody's our gonna white, have the white suits white on. Once we've jumped into the painting, but that doesn't happen in the stage version. Right. But it's the, it's the same costumes that you have to do. So wow. we have to go from our regular street clothes into the white suit and white gown. God. And uh, 17 to 18 seconds was what we had, depending on tempo every night. <laughs> <laughs> push the tempo, and, push the tempo. And then we have to walk out like together hand in hand. And sometimes Mary's was, I was like, girl. <laughs> Where are you? <laughs> And so it's a lot of people don't know it's hard to change into a tux like tuxes are tricky because there's so many pieces oh, so you honey. end up having to do like onesies and lots of tricks to yeah. get like a, and a full-on suit on because yeah. there's like seven pieces that you need to get on otherwise <laughs> um so a lot of that has to be sewn and rigged which is why john's and his people are the miracle workers of theater. Thank God, uh, truly. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So Mary just had to pop into a pop, pop in to <laughs> a dress. <laughs> and I had to, uh, yeah, get a full fledged tux on. But for some reason, hers took longer than mine because I had my nice suit onesie, so it was nice. <laughs> so you could just zip up and call it a day. <laughs> but yeah, 17 seconds was for Jolly Holiday in Mary Poppins, but then the 12-second one, I think it was in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, and my director cornered me one night, apparently with a deep-seated sadistic need, and asked me, can you exit this side and then re-enter on that other side in a different costume? And I went, what? <laughs> So flash to me, exiting one side of the stage, running, pushing people out of the way, disrobing, and someone handing me another suit jacket as I go, <laughs> and jeteing onto the stage opposite side on beat every night. And the same person I had to knock over 
every night because they couldn't learn. <laughs> you know what? You're going to get got if you can't learn the thing. Uh, sorry, that was a complete sort of sojourn. I but, love a sojourney, a costume sojourney. But it very directly involves exactly what you were saying. We don't always give it its due, but you also had a talking point and what makes this show so worth it to you. And I think we the one thing we didn't dive into a pretty pretty girl in a pretty pretty dress <laughs> does the dress make the woman or does the woman make the dress Ooh. she's pretty much downtrodden a lot of this show mm -hmm. and she's forced down because of a man in power and what the man wants yep. and is constantly being told what to do but she was strong and she used fashion almost as a weapon. Mm -hmm. And is this a story of, is it lure more flies with honey than shit sort of situation? Or is this like a tale as old as time as sex sells? Because we can also go down the avenue that it's a simple story of a girl growing up wanting to be pretty and rebelling because she never got to in her teen years. So sure. where do we go with this? Um, my personal viewpoint is that I I don't think that it necessarily goes down the sex sells route because let's, you know, let's be very real. Like the only time that we really see her in the sexy bit is in the fuck you dress, right? So like that's right. where she's fuck told you. show a little skin in the feck you dress, right? Um, so I think that you, I mean, you nailed it saying that, you know, she's using fashion as a weapon. Um, I think that it is absolutely the story of a, a woman who... Like, like we said in the beginning, she's put into this world that she doesn't really know a whole lot about. She recognizes that she's being manipulated by some people. And so she knows that the only way that she's going to be not really or taken seriously, I guess, or to be recognized or to be, you know, given, you know, credence or opportunity is to dress the part. And it really, it goes, you know, there's that old adage of like dress for the job you want, not the job you have. So like she is kind of, I guess, flipping the script a little bit and dressing for the job that she has because she knows that people are expecting a very particular type of thing and that it goes against what has been for the last hundred years in the monarchy. Nobody dresses like that, right? So then she understands that to be a woman of the people, she needs to dress in the era that they are living in. She can't be dressing in the 1800s, right? right? So I think that it's absolutely a story of a woman who starts out not understanding the world and then grows into her own potential. And she knows that she is the one who's being recognized more so than her husband. So she's got to look the part. And so it's like putting on a costume and playing a part in a show. Like the costume helps make the character. So it gives her the confidence that she needs to be able to do what needs to be done. Yeah, in a way, it's definitely her her armor. It's her totally. it's her vehicle to be who she needs to be in that totally. moment and say what she needs to say and deliver the message that needs to be delivered. I I just find it funny because you know the this idea of royalty is in a way antiquated. We brought this up earlier. It's mm -hmm. this old adage. It's what always has been. But you know we've even moved on. You know in Europe from you know full on monarchies to, you know, they still have sort of a judicial democracy system, mm -hmm. but then they still keep this monarchy um, in place. And I think Diana saw, I don't just want to be this girl in a glass menagerie, just looking pretty for the people 
locked away. Yep. You know, she doesn't want to be Joanna in her room. I feel you, you Joanna. Joanna. <laughs> but she saw, I want to do good. I want to make a difference with the power that I have. And this was a new concept of the, because the, I think they were stuck in a mindset. Like you'd use them for so long, you don't realize you can change it. And I think Diana was a breath of fresh air to be like, no, we have actual power to make good change. Absolutely. As opposed to what has been, you know, or was done before. We can pave a new way with the clout and status and opportunities that we have that other people don't. And isn't that the point of being the head of a country, the leader, the the icon, so to speak? Absolutely. And I think using her fashion to get the front cover of a magazine to push her message <laughs> is like the best sort of like undermining of oh, I, yes. I can even think of. I can't, I, there's nothing better. No. She's like, fine, paparazzi are gonna follow me. Fine, I'm gonna look feckin' awesome <laughs> and be like, I'm gonna say my message to them and they're gonna report it. So here we go. So here we go. Oh God, yeah. Mm -mm. Well, and there's just, there is just something so, I don't know, iconic about when the right outfit just hits, it oh. slaps. And you just, oh. the second you put on that thing that you know makes you feel fire, you walk into rooms differently, you talk differently, you just, you embody whatever character it is that goes with that outfit. Like... I mean, I become a boss when I put on a vest and I got a pair of slacks and my clack clack boots. I don't care who you are. I will strut into any business and go, oh, yeah, I own this joint because that's how you feel. And and especially with the way that Diana was just being told what to do, when to do it, where to do it and who to do it with. I feel like she hit a breaking point and she was like, no, forget this. I'm not doing it your way because your way is not working. And I'm the young blood, the fresh air that's coming in. So let's shake things up and do it my way instead. A very Tracy Turnblad way to do this. Oh, totally. Very like, let's just come in and make it happen. And there had to have been a point where it threw her mind. She went, y'all chose me for me. Yeah. I'm going to do me. Yeah. Well, and then I just wanted to touch again on what, you know, we mentioned it briefly. Harry, the Prince Harry. Prince and Harry. And Meghan Markle. They made it out. They made it out and successfully. So they, they've stepped back in a full on capacity as, sure. as royals. Um, and they spend their time between a lot of different places, UK, United States, Canada. Sure. I remember there was a whole thing about, do they still get like secret service and like, you know, royal protection and, and you know, our states covering all this funding and whatever, but right. you know, that's all the, the logistics of it, but they made it out. And what are we excited for them? Is this sad? Is this like, and on top of it, B question, what is our obsession with the Royal family? Especially <laughs> not being, you know, from a place that's Royal. Right. I mean, I'll say to the second part, I don't really have an obsession with the royal family, like speaking personally, but I I don't know. I've never really been that person to to follow the royal family and to know what was going on. And but then again, I'm not I don't even know what's going on in my own country. So maybe I am not a good barometer for <laughs> for this particular question. 
But I think that in in one on one side of this coin, I am happy for the two of them that they were able to go do something that they wanted to do and that they are choosing to live their life in a way that is reflects that reflects them and their wants and their desires and they're not being told what to do anymore and there is a freedom that comes with that that only comes from living your best truth and and being true to yourself on the other side of this coin i think that it sometimes there is a good that comes from sacrificing personal creature comforts whether it is emotional creature comforts or physical to meet an ultimate end and to have resources that you otherwise would not have so like the being a royal part of the royal family you know allows you certain luxuries that you otherwise would not have as a standard citizen of the country so you know i and again i don't know all the particulars of why they left and how they did it and is there drama that was involved with it i'm sure there was well, so so much of it is so shrouded in NDAs and mystery mm, and right, whatever. And then, right. but then there was the Oprah exclusive that she got to go interview them. But some right. of it felt so not produced and staged. But some of it was very. I mean, they bore their hearts and yeah. what they were feeling and how constricted it was and how this just wasn't what they wanted to do, who they wanted to be and how they wanted to live yeah. anymore. And that was the gist of the entire interview. But and, you know, they dropped some bombs along the way. But there has to be something said to completely sort of defect and especially like having um having just covered the book of mormon and being an ex-mormon now not having gone to church for now half my life on this earth in Mm -hmm. the same same way you know having to make that choice to say no no longer how i want to live my life sure so i i get maybe a portion of that and like this is a major life change because i'm going to be true to myself and who i know i am mm-hmm. i'm no longer going to live for other people sure. so i think there's there's a huge point in saying i'm going to be true to me and i think that's what i get mostly from them and their their <laughs> they called it megziting because of megan <laughs> i went oh that's pretty great that's fabulous do do you think megan was a driving force that she didn't want to handle what it was being a royal and that sort of forced prince harry's hand at all it's very kind of it reflects a lot of the story of diana where it megan comes in yeah that's why that's why i wanted to talk about Mm -hmm. it because i'm finding so much similarity and for megan to be diana and for prince harry to then be put in charles position Mm -hmm. and knowing exactly what his mother went through yep I feel like she she absolutely was probably a driving force in the ultimate decision that happened between the two of them. I mean, I, you know, there is that fine line between, you know, talking to your spouse about something that they're struggling with and supporting them in whatever decision they want to make to handle that and then gaslighting them into thinking that it's a problem and then getting them to move on that thinking that it's a problem. So, of course, right. you know, not really knowing the inside conversations that the two of them had, you know, when they're laying in bed at night before they go to sleep, like there there is absolutely an influence that a wife has over a husband or that any spouse has over their other spouse. And so were it not for her, I don't think not knowing really Harry as a person, I don't know if Harry would have had the strength to have done that himself. I think that he needed the support of someone to go, hi, your concerns are valid. What do you want to do about them? And then ultimately making that decision. One has to think his mother essentially did make it out, Mm -hmm. but then died. Mm -hmm. And this is what she wanted for the family. Mm -hmm. This is how she wanted her sons to live. 
yeah. sort of like this duality, right. if anything. So that has to have been running through his mind his entire life oh, and sure. then falling in love with a non-royal mm-hmm. and then having this sort of all happen again. Yep. It just sort of, it's, it's almost like weird full circle oh, in totally. a way for him yeah. where he finally maybe got to live out the life that his mother wanted. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of beautiful. Oh, it's absolutely beautiful. And I mean, you could, you, you will always find people who are on the other side of the fence who are like, how could you give up all of these things, all of these resources that you would have. And I mean, obviously like even I just mentioned that there is every decision that you make has that list of pros and cons that you have to weigh. But at the end of the day, your decision is the one that you made and it's the one that's best for you. And people can judge you for it, but the only person that has to go to sleep with that decision at night is you. Absolutely. So I think that's really awesome that, like, yeah, that you bring up the the fact that Diana did not want this strictness for her sons. She wanted, you know, th- them to be able to live their lives and to be their own people and not just, you know, the, you know, prince of whatever. Like, their identity was not just their title. It had it. She wanted it to be inherently part of themselves. Um. So, I mean, but, you know, again, behind every great man is a woman that's rolling her eyes. So, you know. Absolutely. Well, and what? We're the crazy, wild, independent Americans spouting off about something we something know we don't very know. little about. And, you yes. know, have not grown up with. But, yes, you know, no. that's the American way. We have opinions and we can voice them freely. Exactly. So. Ta-ta. <laughs> Ta-ta. <laughs> Uh, But speaking of vastly American, Hollywood is in America and the great white way. And you know what needs to happen every now and then is an open casting. So I think we need to go into a quick cast. Oh, my favorite part of this show, because we it's it's almost it leads beautifully into like our thought exercises that we go into, which is super fun. Right. Yeah. It's almost like you did it on purpose. In our last episode, the call sheet of this is like you've got your kind of four staple characters and then you've got everybody else who kind of comes in and out a little bit of Diana's life and the Royals and all that. Um, so uh, tonight I think that the, I think we're only going to cover four main characters. I don't think that we need to go any deeper than that. And please correct me if you would like to do other things, but I think the four people that we should really talk about tonight are Diana and Charles. And then I think we need to do Camilla and then the queen. But I don't think we need to do anybody else than that. Honestly, yeah? those are the driving forces, and anyone else is sort of, like, existential. Okay. Like, it's not... It, they're, they're sort of on the periphery of this entire thing. The four main people that I would want, you know, right. are these people. Right. Okay. And anyone else is, is you know, the fun little side... Their side slots. It's fine. As a reminder for the things that we're doing right now, uh, you have a a pin, a veto, a swap, and an executive prerogative. So if at any point you want to change things or do other things, uh, you're running the show, so you're welcome to do that thing. Um, all right. So here's what I got for uh, the again four characters that we're casting tonight: Diana, Camilla, Queen Elizabeth, and Prince Charles. So before we get into this, I know that in our initial coverage of this episode, we did talk about how, you know, much like we talk about in a lot of our episodes and a lot of our quick casting, um, always, you know, casting for talent, not necessarily for race. Um, But I think for this particular casting, we are going to go a bit traditional, but I do still want to stand by the, you know, kind of 
culture, I guess, that we're putting forth in the show and, and the, the staples that we have when we do this. You can always, you know, cast for talent. Don't necessarily cast for things like, um, you know, going with a particular race. Um, but keeping that in mind, the first two headshots I'm going to throw at you for Diana. Um, one has actually been, um, because of course, I kind of cheated a little bit. And I googled which, you know, who has played Princess Diana. So this one's hard. This yeah. one's hard. It, yeah. So I think that, um, you know, I so I kind of went off of this list of a who has done it and then who could do it. Um, so the people I'm going to give to you are Emily Blunt and Natalie Joy Johnson are your two for considerations for Diana. Natalie Joy Johnson. What has she been in? No, she um, uh, she is a dead ringer for Diana. We like. We like. That's crazy. Was she Elle Woods? Oh, actually, it looks like she was Enid. Enid. Oh, Enid Hoops. Gosh, wow. Right? And who else did you say? Sorry. Uh, Emily Blunt. I mean, come on. I know, right? Like, it's... Uh, okay, so, wait. Uh, let's... You know, we're really bad at clarifying this lately. Are we doing this one for stage, or are we doing this one for, like, a film? Well... Actually, let's make it a film, because then, like, it creates this whole thing that, uh, like, John and you and I had talked about. Sure where the, it felt like Diana the Musical was meant to be a film, sure, so to speak. Sure, sure. How about, how about we do this? It's a musical film okay. of Diana. I will say that the majority of people that I have chosen are from Broadway, but I know that they would Ooh. probably be able to translate into film. I know I kind I of went, that. I went different than I normally do, but I'm like, I'm trying to be better about, you know, not Get keeping my toe in the Broadway. <laughs> yeah. I not, I can't just keep my feet in film because that doesn't make any sense for but a okay. podcast about musical theater. So <laughs> I mean, it only took me two seasons to figure that out. So, I'm loving Natalie Joy Johnson. If if anyone out there wants to look it up, she really like. If if this were on stage, I'd kind of believe it was Diana reincarnate. Right. Um, but I'm there's something about the ability of Emily Blunt to just completely transform mm -hmm. into whatever is needed that I'm I'm loving about this yeah so and i do love that she's already british and so that's kind of like let's keep it in let's keep it at home you know? right so, right <laughs> so i like this idea we haven't i don't think we've used emily blunt in a minute or ever so why I don't, don't we so. go ahead with an emily blunt oh delightful and then we could i mean we could keep natalie joy like when it eventually yeah, goes side, back to broadway thing. yeah it's absolutely so now, knowing that Emily Blunt is Diana, here are your options for Camilla. <laughs> oh. Uh, oh, God. I really hope that you don't laugh at me for this, but you might. Uh, so your two <laughs> headshots for Camilla, I have Kristen Chenoweth and Kelly O'Hara. Uh, what? D yes. Come at me. Tell me. Tell me what it is. Because we, if I... Okay. So I know that, like... Sometimes I get dumb when I'm casting people because I don't look at an age. I'm just looking at them. But I remember that like Camilla is older than Charles and is older than Diana. So like I was aiming for somebody in like their 50s. Like, but I don't know if that's supposed to be true or not. The thing, Kelly O'Hara, again, you've you've 
made this thing look. It's a near-dead ringer. Ah! Cr- it's crazy. I'm doing so well. Yay, me. And then Kristen Chenoweth. I just... I would want to see I her be just... vindictive. I would want to see her be mean. I want to see her be a mean girl. Anyway. I don't want to hate Kristen Chenoweth. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Oh my gosh, and she's so short. <laughs> I that is that is true. Again, like the, that's that's why I knew you would laugh at me. But I had to put her up for consideration because I think, like as the I, vocally, she would, she so would well. slaughter it. Like it would be amazing. Oddly, there really is something calling to me about Miss Kelly O'Hara. Now, now, if you don't know, mm-hmm. she was in the uh, revival of The King and I at the Lincoln Center, if I remember correctly. And she uh, did so well (laughs) as our our lovely leading lady. So I can only see her doing great things with this role of Camilla. And I think I might grow to enjoy Camilla through her her portrayal a little bit more. So not that the lady who did portray Camilla wasn't bad. Correct. Yeah. was bad. But, you know. Well, fine. I'll keep you from not liking Kristen Chenoweth because she is. I, I can't. She's I can't do just that. a treasure, and you just have to. You just have to. Um, uh, you know who I had randomly thought of Kristen Chenoweth as being in like one of our first shows, sure. the Great American Trailer Park Musical. I kind of want her as my badass Betty. She would slay. Random, but anyway, love yeah, that. I was thinking about her, and I was like, oh, she would do so good in mm-hmm. that role. Oh God, she would literally murder it. It would be adorable i love it i mean i think we cast patty lapone so i mean so you know what's funny that you mentioned miss lapone because up next we're going to talk about queen elizabeth so um i have patty lapone up against helen mirren for this role you bitch i know (laughs) i'm just here doing a happy dance because i know that it's a really hard choice (laughs) you can't make me make this choice yes i can you will make it patty lapone Uh uh-huh or helen mirren Uh oh you bastard (laughs) okay so this is actually going to be easy oh i do not believe helen mirren would do as much justice to the song that we all agreed was like one of the saving graces of this flopped show mm-hmm. an officer's wife i do not think she would hold a candle to what patty lapone would do with this song so for that song alone <laughs> i'm going to cast again miss patty lapone now see and i appreciate that you thought the last one was a hard decision. You better buckle up, sis. Cause Girl, you, mm. I, not, I did not come here tonight to be tested, to be tried, to be put in front of the Lord. <laughs> well, uh, you better get on your knees and start praying to God because you have a tough decision in front of you. That may have sounded okay. dirty, but I don't really care because we this isn't that kind of show. So, uh, Prince Charles, you have... We have gone through Diana, his wife, Camilla, his side piece, and Queen Elizabeth, his mother. So we got to know who it is that we're dealing with that goes with all of these powerhouse women. Are you ready? Are you sitting down? Oh, man. So I have to love him. I have to hate him. Yeah. I have to have all the things. And he has to have a good voice. Like, he has just a smooth, buttery voice. Okay. 
Yeah, so uh, I'm just going to rip it off like a Band-Aid. Aaron Tveit, Eddie Redmayne. <gasps> oh, f- oh, 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 no. <laughs> Am oh, I gonna am no. I gonna need to give you a minute? Sounds like you're gonna need a minute. <laughs> Twelve hours later. later. <laughs> um. Okay. So, hit it. One. F- you. Thank you. I know. You're welcome. <laughs> but but two. Oh man. Also, both, another Brit. These are both so good. You're welcome. A and Brit against like a Broadway royalty. Yeah. yeah. Screw you. I love Screw you. Screw you. I love all you. All the way to Britain. <gasps> I love you too. Ooh, but you know what? That sounds like a fun trip. Catch me if you can. <gasps> uh, Ooh, <laughs> spicy tonight. So good. We're on fire tonight. <sighs> so, God damn it. Okay. I. <laughs> did you know that Eddie Redmayne is 41 years old? Um, lies and slander and lies and slander and calumny but, too. That's not real, but really. It's, but it's actual. It's <gasps> actual. So, he looks so good for forty-one. He um, looks so, so did Prince Charles. Okay, so that's just mm, decision already made. Oh no, I'm a little like I feel like we've cast Eddie Redmayne. I think that was last season, though. I think that's true. I but. Eddie Redmayne would kill this. Like, mm-hmm. he would not only slaughter this, he would bury it, lay it to bed, bless it, cast the demons out, and grow up as the most bountiful <laughs> harvest you would have ever seen. So you know what? Eddie Redmayne. We're going Eddie Redmayne. All right. I'm sorry, Mr. Aaron. You know you have my heart and my loins. <laughs> That's so good. I wait. Who's the other guy then that that we that we cast? Oh my God! An American Psycho, not Christian. Who is it? Oh no, Christopher. I don't know. Something also has your loins. Seems like you're lending out your loins to a lot of people. Side slut. <laughs> oh my God! Side slut's TM. So good. Here is your final quick cast for Diana. Uh, our titular character, Diana, is Emily Blunt. Camilla is Kelly O'Hara. Queen Elizabeth is Patti Lapone, And Prince Charles is Eddie Redmayne. Well, you know, babe, that, again, we know is my favorite portion. But where, where would one go to pontificate about the things that have not been? That Buckingham Palace in the sky, that one magical land called What If? Where it's tea time all the time. (laughs) Pass the crumpets and get jammy with it. Oh my god, you were just on fire this evening. This is delightful. So, what is the thought exercise that we are going to tittle this evening? Ooh, well, funny you say tittle. Oh my. So, what if all four parties, when I say four, I mean Prince Charles, Mrs. Camilla, our lovely Princess Diana, 
and our, uh, of course, lovely Mr. James Hewitt. Cute. We're all copacetic. It was all okay with this open marriage situation. Whoa. How would that have changed any outcome, if at all? Because essentially what happened, Hmm. what what actually happened was Prince Charles got jealous. Mm. Prince Charles got a little gel gel. Oh, he jelly. Even though he had his side slut. Yeah. So like, but it's, but it's that idea of like, oh, well, if I don't want to play with her, then no one else should be able to. Mm. Right. Neat. Controlling. It's like a phantom complex. Ugh. Toxic, toxic masculinity. Love every minute of that. That's so nice. So yeah, but instead, what if it was like, fine, let's all just titillate and be happy. <laughs> Tittle and be happy. Well, so I guess the the first question I would have would be, you know, we already know, I think, or wait, do we know that Queen Elizabeth knows that Charles is having this fling with Camilla? Does she know that? Does anyone know that? Will anyone? Will anyone? Fair enough. Okay, so let's. So we're going to operate under the assumption that mom doesn't know what's going on, and she just assumes that it's business as normal. Charles is still kind of in love with Camilla, still wants to be with her, isn't really devoting time to Diana. That kind of fuels Diana's fire for then for her to show up at this party, right? And go, you know, I want my husband, you know, come Charles and blah, blah, blah. And it starts the whole feud between them or fuels the whole feud between them. I wonder then if the feud is not being fueled and it's just an, okay, this is how we kind of live our life situation. I wonder if... Diana would have been as ready to want to live a life outside of the royal house, family, etc. If she did not have this almost abusive relationship with her fake husband, I will say it's fake husband because they're only married truly in like title. It became fake. Yeah, over time. Was real, realized it was a arranged marriage almost in a way. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know then if it would have turned out like, and this is all also assuming that Diana would have like lived, like if we didn't have the historical part of this, like, you know, her dying in, in, in this car accident, like I, I'm pontificating a what if in a scenario where we're also changing history yeah, yeah. at this point because I want Diana to be alive. But I think that she probably would have still been feisty but I think she would have been mellow because she's getting the satisfaction she needs somewhere else. She's happy there. He's not really fighting it because he also gets to have what he wants. So maybe it would have changed some things. But I, mm, this is, I'm kind of like getting an this error code yeah, this, 404. This, this one's a little difficult because we yeah. also have to remember, I think also she was ready to like bounce off to America with James Hewitt. Right. Oh, God, that's right. Oh, Mary, that whole sentence then doesn't make any sense because that's totally well, true. No, 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 because I Ugh. think having Charles be so okay with it, maybe that would have been, like, a different thing. Right. Because I think at some point you have to say, like, I don't want to leave, you know, my 
birthplace, my home, my, right. you know, what I know. And like, right. there is that loyalty to country. And I think <clears throat> maybe there would have been a hesitancy. There would have been more of, of one because sure. she was so miserable up until that point of finding someone who actually was paying attention, yeah. showing her affection, actually satisfying her. Yes. So, I mean, like, I think there may have been some shifts in her mind if it was like, fine, I'm in this arranged marriage, but clearly this is how royals do it. Yeah. So how about I do this with someone who I actually want to, like my husband is? Mm -hmm. Well, and I think too, like they probably, if they were more okay with what was happening, they would have worked harder to keep everything under wraps. So then it wouldn't have become a publicity stunt. It wouldn't have been a moment in her tell-all book that she had. You know, right. I think that if they were both okay with it, they would have maybe come to a mutual understanding of like, let's keep each other's, you know, dirty laundry in the hamper, right? And not allowing press and other people to really understand what this is doing a better job of like playing the role in public so then there is no speculation about are they seeing other people and like is you know what's going what's the scandal there I yeah. mean, you know, and you could fast forward. I mean, in a in a way, it's super modern. Oh, totally. But even though it's like an antiquated thing that everyone has always done that within like ancient. I'm talking like 1400s royals. So oh, it's not like yes. Any king or royalty was ever honorable to their significant other. No, really. no. <laughs> but but the I would say like I'm almost thinking she still whether because we also have to think james hewitt probably would have still gone off because he he was called to serve right yep. elsewhere yeah so i'm assuming that probably still would have happened regardless yeah would she have just bounced to someone else so part Ooh. of me is wondering i don't know she would have still been stuck in a situation she didn't want to be in right i'm not sure anything would have absolutely changed had charles been okay with it and said right. okay fine you do you i'm not sure anything would have changed because she is such a strong woman bent on her need to make a change in the world be the change in the world yeah Ooh, that's a really good one that's really good it's hard and it's hard because it is real and we have like actual facts so this is actual history this isn't just some fictitious story that someone made up this is true history right. so we have to like take those facts into account mm -hmm. and i have uh, at the end of the day w with this posed question i don't know if it would have changed her mind because i think she was already done with her marriage and with james hewitt having left i think i don't know if she would have just jumped to another person yeah if charles was okay with her finding someone else that she could be happy with I yeah. think she would have always wanted to leave the situation because at the end of the day, the Thrilla in Manila, she just wanted her husband and she wanted Camilla gone. Mm-hmm. Oof. God. This is fun. Have I told you that this is fun and that I like <laughs> I like this part? This is such a fun well, part. I think we should go to the basement and have a boxing match, but that means we need to descend. Tea first? Damn, you are just on 
fire. I literally can't even keep up with you tonight. It's so good. I've decided Diana is absolute gay icon, and she's kind of my new hero. Um, yeah, she better be your new hero, because like the you you are not allowed to participate in the Diana Sans if she is not your icon. So hashtag Diana Sans. Oh my God, John, I'm paying your residuals. I promise it's happening. Again, we have to thank John for being a huge part of our coverage of Diana the Musical. It is just amazing. We are set to uh, guest on his show upcoming soon. So yes. take a check out of his uh, podcast, uh, But A Song Podcast on Instagram, as well as anywhere you listen to your podcast. Yay! Oh my God. Well, Steven, I mean, final thoughts on Diana the Musical? Again, the more I sit and sit and sit with the show, the more I like it. I hated it upon my first viewing, and I I just, I'm not shy about that. I yeah. was like, what the hell is this? Yeah. There, there's rock music, and this princess is singing, and it's so wrong, and eventually I've landed on it's so wrong that it's right. <laughs> and I, she, she is an absolute person I think we all need to retake a look at, because I think media and the populace back 30 years ago knew it then yeah and i think we need to again have this diana sance and see it now because i think she is absolutely someone that had maybe ideas too soon and now is when we need them and that she would be flourishing as someone in power i literally couldn't agree more i am a story about someone who was kind of cut down in her prime and wondering what could have been, you know, with her being in any sort of position, whether it's in, you know, if she wanted to just work with every charity on the planet or she actually got a position in some sort of government, what kind of change she could have made. You know, it is it is wonderful to tell the stories of those people who were cut down, you know, before they could really do some serious good in the world. And I, you know, again, like I've said before, I never knew how this was going to be a musical. And I am so glad that I got to participate in watching this and talking about it with you. And John was just a wonderful conversation because it. It is so nice, again, to see all of these stories that have these universal themes of, like, finding yourself, figuring out, you know, what your life's purpose is, what makes you happy, going against the grain and trying to institute real change in the world, and just finding your voice and figuring out, like, how it can do good. And I think that Diana was an excellent example of what it means to find your voice in a male-dominated world and to make people listen to you and to really take you seriously because, you know, we know that's kind of a an unfortunate toxic fact of the world is a lot of times women are not taken seriously upon the first go around because of the nature of the beast, as it were, and... This was an excellent story of flipping that script and showing what women can do. And I am she was always a very pretty girl in a pretty dress. But she, she was so much more. She really, really was. And that was that was a beautiful story to tell. And I'm very glad I got to watch it. But now on those feel goods at the end, we now get to make a fool of your co-host and figure out this clue. For the last, dear, for the for the last for the next show that we're gonna do, the last time you gave a thing, I, 
Will you give me the clue again just to see if I'm going to get it? I'm actually having a hard time. I can't remember what clue I gave. I want to say it was this musical will teach you a new skill. And I you, think was along the lines. I feel like that's true. And, uh, you know, the only skill I know that I can take to the bank is how to take blood out of car upholstery. So don't ask me how, because it's illegal in about six states. But this will teach you a new skill in a show about... And I do or, believe it was male-driven. In a season about death. We've already talked about Sweeney yes. Todd, which would have been a skill. Um... Brrr, what what are what are what are we doing next time? You might learn a skill from a not a tyrant, not a pauper, but a gentleman. And what's that skill? <gasps> Murder. Whoa! Next show we cover: Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder. Wow! Yep. This show is a farce. Farce. I, th this is going to be different than anything we've ever covered, and I'm so excited. I am living for this. This is beautiful. I, mm, a gentleman's guide to love and murder. So I, this again, much like a lot of the shows that we've done, coming in completely blind. I don't really know a lot about this show, so I'll do a little research before I actually listen to a soundtrack and watch a thing. Um, but I'm looking forward to it, because who doesn't love to learn the skill of murder? Yeah. The little bits I know, I'm excited to finally get to dive into it. So I hope you'll all come along with us. And if you want to join in on our conversations, whether it be good, bad, indifferent, royal, uh, simple, you know, poppers, gentlemen, and all of the things in between, make sure that you follow us on Instagram from the top underscore podcast so you will never miss a beat of any of our show coverage. And if there are things that you want to correct in our shows, if there are things you want to praise about our shows, or if you have shows that you want us to cover, make sure you email us at podcastfromthetop at gmail.com. This has been an excellent conversation, Stephen. Again, the highlight of my week. I say it every time we get done, but it never ceases to be true. So uh, I think... Even, it's so true. Even when I'm feeling down and I'm yes. not into it, I'll sit down and I'll start talking. And that's theater, folks. That's theater, folks. It just folks. makes me happy. It's so good. And so until next time, this has been From, From the, the top, top, a Wandering Unicorn production. I've always wondered, do we know how big the crown jewels actually are? Oh, man. Uh, how big is the heart of the ocean? Well, baby, I went down and got it for you. Uh-huh. You shouldn't have. <laughs>